Good morning. It is great to see you. I hope you're, you're excited to be here. I hope you're filled with joy. I hope you're filled with passion. I am. I am. It's good to have our mission team home. It's good. I know that they're tired, but they'll have an opportunity to rest. It's good to have Sean home. He's been gone. We were going to change all sorts of things, and then we decided not to. Although there will be an open house for all of you to attend in his office, he now has the world's biggest whiteboard on his uh, wall, so you need to come and see that firsthand. So, blessings. We're going to continue our series today. We've been talking about getting into church. How do you get into church? Window, tunnel, you get into a door. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the door of hospitality and how the church really needs to be a place of shelter, of healing. Not simply for ourselves, but for others. Last week, we talked about the importance of going through that door of prayer with an emphasis on a prayer on a consistent basis. And we learned as we took the example of the Lord's Prayer that we need to give praise and thanksgiving to God. We need to tell Him what our needs are, what our concerns are. And then we need to ask for forgiveness. Not only asking for forgiveness, but giving forgiveness. Because what do we pray? What did we just pray? Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And so today we will continue our series with the door of forgiveness. A door that we all desperately need. Those in the church, those outside the church, this entire world certainly stands in need of forgiveness. And I would like to go to the very first book in the Pentateuch. The book of Genesis, and if you'll join me, if you'll stand, we will read out of chapter 50, and we will start with verse 14, not 15. I'm going to change it just a a bit as Joseph reassures his brothers here at the end of the Genesis book. And in 14, it says, after burying Jacob, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had accompanied him to his father's burial. But now that their father was dead, Joseph's brothers became fearful. Now Joseph will show his anger and pay us back for all the wrong we did to him, they said. So they sent this message to Joseph. Before your father died, he instructed us to say to you, please forgive your brothers for the great wrong they did to you, for their sin in treating you so cruelly. So we, the servants of the God of your father, beg you to forgive our sin. When Joseph received the message, he broke down and wept. Then his brothers came and threw themselves down before Joseph. Look, we are your slaves, they said. But Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. No, don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. So he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. God's blessing on his word. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. The door of forgiveness. The story is told about a certain married couple. They had many sharp disagreements, and the husband would usually rant and rave and jump up and down, but the wife always seemed to stay calm, cool, collected. 
One day her husband commented on his wife's restraint. He said, sweetheart, when I get mad at you, you never seem to fight back. How do you control your anger, your frustration? His wife said, well, I work it off by cleaning the toilet. That's how I forgive you. The husband paused for a moment and said, well, sweetheart, how does cleaning the toilet help you to forgive me? And with a small smile, she said, I use your toothbrush. (laughs) Don't get mad, get even. That's a world philosophy. That's a culture that we live in, not simply in this country, but around the world. It's how we deal with someone who has done us wrong. And yet God prescribes a totally radical approach. We are to be kind and tenderhearted, forgiving of one another, just as Christ has forgiven us. And it's easy to say that, but it's a lot tougher to actually apply it. It usually has to deal with the proportion of the hurt that you have felt. When you hurt so bad, you don't really feel like forgiving anybody. Even if somebody else repents, you want them to feel a little suffering and a little pain and a little of what you've gone through. Some of you may be struggling with those feelings even as you sit in the sanctuary today. Your pain may be of a recent situation or it may go way back in time. But if you're bitter, if you're unforgiving, you are not obeying the two great commandments that we talk so frequently about, to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor as yourself. Bitterness displeases God. It spreads into others. And if we want to please God, if we want to follow the Christ, we need to take that bitterness out. We need to truly forgive, ask for forgiveness, and forgive others. But how? How? Joseph certainly had to avoid bitterness when he forgave his brothers. He had been hurt, but he never developed any sense of bitterness. His own brothers had planned to kill him, and instead of killing him, they finally sold him off into slavery. And as Potiphar's slave, he became a lesson in how to overcome bitterness, because even though he was faithful and upright, he was falsely accused of attempted rape of Potiphar's wife. He spent years in prison, even forgotten by a man whose word could have helped him get out of prison. And yet, in spite of all of this, Joseph never grew bitter toward God or toward those who had hurt him so poorly or so badly. But here in this story in Genesis, we're 17 years after Joseph has forgiven his brothers. And now Jacob, the father, has died. And his brothers began to worry. They worried that he wouldn't forget all the wrongs that they had done to him. They knew that they had been forgiven, but would now be payback time. Would this be the time that Joseph would get them back for all that they had done? And Joseph's response here at the end of Genesis shows that he has truly, genuinely forgiven his brothers. But how did he forgive them? And if he forgave them, why shouldn't we be able to forgive others who have done far less than what Joseph's brothers did to him? Forgiveness, first of all, is a divine experience, folks. I really don't believe the human beings came up with forgiveness. I really don't. I believe only God came up with the attribute of forgiveness. We may talk about it, but it's against our nature. If we're really honest with ourselves, forgiveness is not the first thing that we feel. 
We feel revenge. We feel hatred. We feel anger. We feel, let's get back. Forgiveness is a divine experience. The Bible says sin is a deadly disease. We all suffer from it. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is not one of us that righteous, that is righteous. Not one of us. We all stand in need. We err and stray away like God's lost sheep. We follow the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have broken God's laws. We have left undone those things we ought to have done, and we have certainly done those things that we ought not to have done. And here in the midst of all of that, God invented forgiveness as a remedy of the past that even he could not change. Invents forgiveness so that he can make up for the past and enrich the future. But it was a costly price, as each of you know. He did it through his son, Jesus Christ. And even as Jesus hung on the cross, what are the first words out of his mouth? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Before he comforts his mother, before he prays about his own pain, before he talks to the disciples, what does he do? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He teaches the best example of all is that forgiveness of our enemies is important. The cross of Jesus Christ, in the cross our sins are forgiven. And either our sins are forgiven by God or they remain our sins because God is the only one who can forgive our sins. It is a divine experience. And there is only one remedy for the disease that destroys us on a daily basis. The unearned, undeserved, unconditional forgiveness of God. The second thing is that forgiveness is a gift. It is a gift. Not only a gift from God to us, but a gift from us to others. What did Jesus say? If you forgive people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will most assuredly forgive you. Forgiveness is something that we don't simply receive, we share it. It's not something that we unwrap and covet, it's something that we share with others out of necessity. Forgiveness is an empowering form of giving. And we need to grow in our forgiveness each and every day of our lives. It's a, it's a present. It's a favor. It's an offering. It's a gift. We don't earn gifts, folks. People do not earn gifts. You're given a gift out of love. And in this case, out of forgiveness. Nobody can demand forgiveness. We can only give forgiveness. If you choose to forgive someone else, you will give them the best, the greatest gift that you can possibly give. Forgiveness has to do with our hearts, the condition of our hearts, and whether they are filled with hate and anger and resentment, or whether they are indeed filled with the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. And remember, when you receive forgiveness, when you give forgiveness. If your heart is so filled with anger and resentment, if your hands are so clenched like fists that you're tired and that you're angry, how can you ever receive a gift with clenched fists? 
You need to be open to God's gift, and you need to be open to each other to give that gift. It can never be done in clenched fist. It can only be done if you have open hands and an open heart. Back in June of 1971, boy, that's a long time ago, June 1971, there was a picture that appeared worldwide of a small girl running down a road in Vietnam with an expression on her face of unimaginable terror. Her clothes had been burned off and her body had been scorched by napalm. One of the army pilots on that particular bombing run was John Plummer. And he said, when I saw that picture on the news, I fell to my knees. I could never talk about it. And that little girl in the picture, Pham Thi Kim Phuc, she lived. She finally moved to Toronto, Canada. And in 2001, she was invited to speak at a Veterans Day gathering in Washington, D.C. And John Plummer, living right outside Washington, decided that he would attend. And in her speech to all of those war veterans, those men and women who had fought for the freedoms of this country, she said these words, if I could talk face to face with the pilot who dropped those bombs, I would tell him we cannot change the past, but we would certainly try to do good things for the future. John Plummer, who was in the audience, slipped a note to one of the ushers, and it simply said on the piece of paper, I am that man. Behind stage, after she was done, John met her for the first time. She opened up her arms, and he fell into her arms sobbing, simply saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. With a smile on her face, she said, it's all right. I forgive, I forgive. Forgiveness is an active form of freedom. We are set free, and the weight and the burden that weighs us down day after day and month after month and year after year is taken from us. Forgiveness is a gift, a gift to receive, but most certainly a gift to give. And if you're thinking about forgiving someone and you're asking, well, how much is enough? Or how far do I go? Or how many times do I forgive? Or will they appreciate my gift? You haven't got it. It's not about any of those things. It's about what's in your heart. Are you ready to give the gift? Because you're certainly ready to accept it because you need it. Forgiveness is a gift. It's not whether the other person deserves it. That's not the question. It's whether you're ready to give it. It's not going to change them. But I can assure you it's going to change you. Forgiving is not forgetting. Forgiving is not excusing, but forgiving is being set free from the burdens and the hate and the resentment and the tears of yesterday. And finally, forgiveness is a witness to God's love. It is a witness to God's love. Joseph willingly forgave his brothers for selling him into slavery. He was able to see that even though they meant it for evil, as the Bible says, God meant it for good, for good. Here we see the love of God. 
It's another reason why we should be forgiving one another is though sin inflicted upon us, God will always bring some good out of it if we just simply allow him. You meant it for evil, he told his brothers, but God, God meant it for good. You sinned against me. You hated me. You sold me off into slavery. You told my father I was killed by an animal. It was a terrible, horrible thing to do. But I can forgive you because God meant it for good. God used the brothers' sin to save the whole nation of Egypt that had been dying over a seven-year drought. And think about it. If Joseph had not gone to Egypt, God's covenant people, God's covenant people would have perished from hunger. You see, God brought good out of evil. God can do those kind of things. Forgiveness allows us to feel the indwelling spirit and love of the Christ. Let me leave you with a story today. One last one. Corey Tenboom. You probably recognize the name. Some of you may have even heard the story. Great Christian writer. Her entire family was sent to a Nazi concentration camp for harboring Jews, and her sister and her father died there. And after the war, she began giving speeches, and almost inevitably, they all revolved around forgiving. And one night in Munich, she was about ready to give a speech, when she noticed down in the fourth row was an SS officer who had been at their concentration camp in Ravensbrück, a particularly cruel officer. And she had to gather herself in, and she continued to give her speech, but at the end, the officer came forward. He said, Fräulein, I was in Ravensbrück. I was an SS officer. But I want you to know that I am a Christian. And I know that God has forgiven my sins. But I came here tonight because I wanted to look you in the eye. And I want to hear from your lips that you forgive me. Corey writes, she couldn't move. He sticks his hand out and she can't raise her arm. She tries and she starts to feel embarrassed as though the entire room is looking at her. There's just no way that she could humanly do that. And she just finally prays, Jesus, please, give me the strength to do know what I can't do on my own. Give me the strength to do it. And slowly but surely, she raises her hand, shakes the officer's hand, and says simply, I forgive you, my brother. In God, I forgive you. If Corey Tenboom can forgive, if Kim T. Fook can forgive, why can't we forgive? I don't know, many of us have been burned to death, almost to death by napalm, and I don't know, many of us have been in concentration camps. But forgiveness should be a part of our lives. Forgiveness doesn't change the past, but it does enrich the future. And forgiveness doesn't cause us to forget, but it frees us for tomorrow. God can do things like that. Look at the cross. Look at the cross. Who would have thought that the symbol of Christianity would be a guillotine, a hangman's noose, an electric chair? I don't want us to get too sentimental about the old rugged cross, 
because it is an evil, terrible way to die. And yet even out of all of that evil, even out of all the things that were meant in Christ's death, God brought something good out of that cross. He brought salvation for you and for me. For you and for me. God has forgiven each of us for every soiled thought, every soiled act, every soiled deed. Why can't we start forgiving one another? To forgive is probably the most difficult thing we can ever do as Christians. And we can never really forgive on our own strength, because Corey Tinboom would tell you that. We need a strength much higher than us. We need a God much higher than us. We need a power much higher than us. If our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have indeed sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God most certainly would have given us an economist. If our greatest need was pleasure, God most certainly would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was and is forgiveness. And that's why God sent us a Savior. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Now start using that door of forgiveness that swings both ways to give and to receive on a daily basis. Would you bow your heads with me?